It is a good Easter. It's the time we celebrate that Jesus is alive. The time we, we celebrate that Jesus died for our sins, so we're completely forgiven, and that we have new life in him. Every Christian church around the country is celebrating that same thing, no matter what denomination they are. I was at a, uh, an ecumenical service this, this uh, last uh, Good Friday, which means many different churches coming together, if you want to know what ecumenical means. And it was just great to see different people worshiping God in different styles. They had an organ and did an awesome job. But really, it's about a relationship with Jesus, that he has forgiven us of our, our past and he's given us new life in him. This is the hope that all the disciples in the Bible had. This is the hope that compelled them to even be willing to, to die for Jesus. This is the hope that had started a movement that we are the recipients of today. This great hope that Jesus died and he, was rose, he rose from the dead also. He was really, really dead. Now, this is, this is the hardest thing for some of us in our culture. You know, there's some... There's some ideas going around that, you know, either Jesus really didn't die or, or he really didn't rise from the dead. But this gets back to the one, one of the greatest hopes that we can actually service. But I was thinking, you know, some people think that, that he wasn't dead. He was like mostly dead. And that got me thinking about one of my favorite campy movies of all times, Princess Bride. Anyone see Princess Bride movie? Okay. So it's an obnoxiously campy movie that makes fun about of kind of all movies that are kind of the semi-romantic adventure movies. And they do a lot of rhyming in there. Some of you know that you've heard uh, Stop It, I Mean It. Anybody? Yeah, okay, some of you have seen it. And it's all about true love, right? Yeah, the whole thing is about... And there's this guy named Wesley, and he has a... He has a uh, a girlfriend he's going to marry named Buttercup, right? Yeah, and it's uh, it's kind of cheesy. And the king in the land wants to marry Buttercup, but he hates Wesley. And so he sends Wesley to this horrible dungeon to have him tortured with this machine. And he screams out in pain. It reverberates throughout the whole city. And then he it looks like he's left for dead. And some of his friends pick him up and they... They, they take him to the healer in town. Maybe he can do something to this guy that seems dead. And they bring him into it, put him on the slab, and they listen to his heart and go, yeah, my friend said, yeah, he's dead. He's really dead. And uh, so uh, the healer, he, he has a funny saying that he says, well, there's a big difference between dead and mostly dead. Right? Mostly dead is slightly alive. Funny. So, yeah, so uh, anyway, the, the idea is that some people think, you know, Jesus just, um, he just like, he didn't really die. So the disciples saw something who just, he, he just kind of fainted, and then they just took him off the cross. But I'll, I'll tell you uh, something for sure, that throughout history, when someone's dead, they usually can tell. <laughs> it wasn't just people in... Uh, the 21st century that could tell that someone had been really dead, dead, dead. And so it wasn't an illusion when Jesus appeared. They had, it wasn't real illusion. It really did happen. Today is the story about a man who really did die and came to life. It is the inspiration for hope for all of us who are believers. But I would like to introduce you to the idea also that Easter is both about hope and it's about doubt. It's about hope and it's about doubt. 
Any doubters in the room? Did you ever have a time where you went through doubt and you really questioned either things about your faith or about your life? Well, great news is that one of Jesus' disciples was known for doubting. And it seems like he included him to help us deal with our own doubt that we go through. You see, the disciples didn't believe all at once. They believed a little, then they got discouraged. Then they believed some more, and some troubling things happened that didn't make sense in their life. Anybody know what that's like when things don't make sense in your life? And then they stopped. Then they, they started to question, and they got to be confused. And it, it so resonates with us because our lives aren't just this straight line where we just continue to get more and more glorious and beautiful people, and we just believe and never have any doubts and never any fears. And never th nothing ever interrupts our plans. We know that our lives often go from, yay, hope, to ah, doubt, confusion. The resurrection story is that is a story, it's doubting for some, it's confusing, confusing for others, and it's believing for many, many other people throughout history. It's the same for us. Most people don't go around talking about the afterlife in everyday conversation. Anyone go to Starbucks recently or your favorite restaurant or to some families and friends. Hey, have you thought about dying recently? It's just not part of our part of our conversation. Or have you thought about the afterlife? And I know I, I please don't take any disrespect. Some of you in this room have had someone pass away recently in your life. And it's been very, very grievous, right? Yes. And my hearts go out to you. I've been at a lot of funerals. I've conducted many funerals. But the only thing that ever grieves me is when I go to a funeral and I don't hear anything about the resurrection. A few years ago, my family went to an extended family's funeral. My wife and I, Tom and Angie, were there. And it was a very formal affair. In fact, it was in a gymnasium. We were running late. And we walked into the gymnasium. And it was hard to be invisible when you're late in a gymnasium. And so we shuffled in over to the side, tried to be as inconspicuous as possible. And there's bleachers on both sides. And then in the, in the very front, there's a group of guys dressed up in very formal attire. They weren't military, but it kind of looked that way. And this, this man had been part of an organization that was very formal, um, very rigid in what they believed. No, with no disrespect to what was happening there, it was just different for me. Because the way they were orchestrating all the formal ceremonies didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand really what they were doing. Sometimes it sounded like Christian talk. Sometimes it sounded like pagan talk. And sometimes it, started, it sounded like they were talking as if they were from the military. So they were going through all this formal ceremonies. And for me... Uh, the way I'm wired, it was very, very heavy. And whenever I've been in an environment that feels very, very heavy, something happens to me that is I really shouldn't do. But I started to laugh within myself. Now, if you've ever tried to repress laughter at an inappropriate time, maybe you can identify. Did you ever try? I remember being in church with my dad up here and I was sitting there trying to my friend was making jokes and trying to repress my laugh I remember my dad yelling at our disciplining us and I and I and I thought it was funny and I started laughing inappropriate time did you ever have a time where where you 
something happened funny and it, it was just not the time to be funny. Funerals is one of those times. So the heaviness and the formality was just getting to me after a while. And then at near the end, all the men that were dressed up in their uniforms picked up a feather one at a time, and they brought it all over to what looked like an altar. I don't know what it represented. They didn't tell us. I tried to actually look it up online. I couldn't find it. But one after another, they brought up a feather. And I turned to my wife, and I said these very serious words, where's my feather? Uncle Tom, or Tom back here was sitting on the other side. He goes, did you get a feather? <laughs> no, I didn't get a feather. My wife started giggling. <laughs> Be quiet. I wouldn't let up. I didn't get a feather. I really want a feather. I want a feather. Can we get a feather too? Where's my feather? And we're just, here's the scene though. The bleachers were on one side, are facing the other side of the bleachers. We can see each other. The poor lady who had, whose husband had passed away is sitting there and in the sight of everyone. My heart went out to her because she couldn't be alone in her grief. And we're trying to repress the laughter. I, the reason why it was so troubling to me, it was so absurd because I didn't hear anything about the resurrection. It always troubles me. I've gone to other tr uh, funerals where it sounds like the person who is deceased was going to be whisked away on a wind on some bird's wings uh, and fly into some ethereal neverland. And I go, where's the resurrection in all of this? Or maybe you've heard people say, in my next life. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you've said that. And we're kidding. But some people might take it serious. In my next life, which is all about not resurrection, is it? It's reincarnation, we call it. In our next life, that kind of believes, if I'm good enough in this life, I'm going to come back in a better form because in my next life, I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be famous. I'm going to be good looking. I'm going to be whatever. But there's no real hope to that because those kinds of ways of thinking are all about our performance. They're all about us being good enough to earn some kind of good everlasting life afterwards. The gospel or the idea of resurrection is that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead. And all I have to do is believe it's not about my performance. It's just where I put my trust. Resurrection is a big deal for Christians because it's essential to our faith. However, many of us doubt. Many of us find it confusing. And some of us believe. And I, th I would say to you, it's okay, because God has given us a great disciple in the Bible called Thomas. Unfortunately, he's gotten the label Doubting Thomas, right? But he wasn't the only one who doubted. Any doubters in the room? Do you ever go through a time of doubt where you're doubting either yourself, the circumstances, God, why this is happening to me, what's going on in my life? Did you ever doubt? Welcome to the human race. Doubter, it's, it's almost as if Jesus said, doubters, welcome. But I know it's a lot of times for us religious types as Christians, we want certainty, right? We want it black and white. We want everything certain. The problem with it's becoming so much certain about everything black and white. Sometimes when we find our certainty, we find ourselves judgmental to other people who seem uncertain. Thomas was a great example. Thomas, I loved him because he was 
a skeptic a little bit. He got confused a little bit. And he doubted a lot. One time Jesus was going to go into town to a great festival. And he says, I'm going to go to this festival. What they all knew is at the festival, there were people that were going to take Jesus out. They were going to kill. They, there were people looking to kill Jesus. Thomas loved Jesus, tried to hold him, tried to protect him. And Thomas whispered to his, get the sarcasm in this. Thomas whispered to one of his companions, the one called twin. He said, come along. We might as well die with him too. Now, I don't think Thomas didn't love Jesus, nor did he not look to him to be his Messiah. But he wanted to protect him, and he wanted a, a Messiah who is going to be alive. Who wants to follow a follower of someone who's going to die? We surely wouldn't want that in the presidential elections, would we? We want someone who's going to stand for us, and, and, and they're going to be alive. And we wouldn't want to say, hey, by the way, halfway through the, the process, oh, by the way, I'm going to die for everybody here. Maybe it's a bad analogy. How many of you are realists, though? Show me. You're the kind of the, prove it. Show me. Thomas is like that. Another time, Jesus is insinuating that he's going somewhere. And he had told his disciples, I'm going to die and I'm going to raise again. It must have sounded like nonsense because they never really got it. They go, what is he talking about? It must be one of those parables things. Must have a double meaning to it. I, I don't know what he's really talking about. But Jesus said to him, I'm going to go away. And, and then Thomas said to him, where are you going? Well, you know the way I, where I'm going, Jesus said. No, I don't know, Lord. We don't have any idea where you're going. And how can we know the way? Again, Thomas is skeptical. What is Jesus trying to say? Here's the thing about people who never doubt is maybe they don't have a faith they own themselves. Doubting moves us from an assumed faith or a given faith to one we own for ourselves. Thomas was confused. He heard about that Jesus had died and he became very, very discouraged. He was a person you had to prove it. Let me give you one other scripture. I think this will be one will be on your screen. This is the, where Thomas gets the label doubting Thomas. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Jesus had showed himself to them. And they told him, we have seen the Lord. We have seen the Lord. When someone gives you a first-person experience, you often validate that. You would, well, in their presence, validate that. If you could say, I've had this experience, how can you argue with someone's experience, right? But often it's not good enough for me just to hear about your experience. I'm glad you had that experience. Many people say, well, that's good for you, but not so for me. I'm glad you had that happen, but for me, I have to experience myself. So here's this Thomas hearing these disciples say, we have seen the Lord. And Thomas, in his own mind, is saying, I have to believe it for myself. And Thomas replies, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wound on his side. Prove it to me. It's, it's almost like he, he, he's saying, you have to come 
on my terms. I'm not just going to believe because of what you say. I have to see it for myself. I have to experience it for myself. I think believing in Jesus' death and resurrection is something that each one of us have to experience for ourselves. It's really hard to get a secondhand experience about what this had to do with our lives. Are we any different than Thomas? Don't you want to have proof? When I was a young kid, I always kind of thought I, I had a great imagination. We, we thought there really was flying saucers, so I thought maybe this, you know, I would imagine that. But I also would think, wouldn't it be great if an angel showed up in my room? Or you hear stories about people that actually see Jesus. And I thought, I'm a pretty good boy. I would like to see Jesus. I would like him to show up in my life. Maybe you've had that prayer of God, where are you in my life? I just wanted to see him. You're like, prove it. I wanted the proof. I won't believe it until I see it. Because all of his hope was gone. He was disillusioned. He was discouraged. He really needed to know not only that Jesus died, but the one who had died was really still alive. Eight days later, the disciples were get together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to, to Thomas, put your finger here and look into my hands. Put your hand into the wound into my side. Don't be faithless, faithless any longer. Just believe. It's almost that Thomas had thrown down the gauntlet and had a challenge and said, I'm not going to believe unless I see it. And Jesus proves himself. And he says, touch me. See that I'm a real body. I'm not a ghost. I'm not just an apparition. I'm real. And then he says these words, my Lord and my God. Then he confesses. But here's the connection between us. Jesus' last statement is an interesting statement because Thomas is like so many of us who say, show me. I, I need the proof. And it ends this way. Then Jesus told them, you believe because you see me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. You're actually more blessed to believe when you haven't seen. Not really maybe what we wanted to hear. We really want proof. We want some tangible evidence that he's really alive and working in my life. I would say that doubt that Thomas had is sometimes a prerequisite to belief. When I was a kid, I was the good boy in church. I was dressed nicely. I don't know if I wore a bow tie, but I would be the, the person everyone would look at and say, he's such a good boy. I kind of resented it. My brother was the opposite. He's such a troublesome kid. It's always good. But he was way more popular. I said, man, I'd give up the good boy to be popular any day. Kind of how I felt. I was the good boy, the perfect guy, you know, that I, I accepted Jesus in my life when I was little. I don't know if I really knew what that meant. They talked about if you ask Jesus in your life, you can go to heaven when you die. And I didn't really care about heaven when I was six. But I was the model little kid. We moved when I was in third grade, and I remember coming back to visit my friends that I had in third grade to see them. And here I was. I was a boy who never tried to really impress his friends and always watched his language. 
and I got around my friends, and I began to swear like a sailor. Little boy, perfect little Christian boy, and I was, telling, I was impressing my friends by how good I could swear. Nice little Pharisee. Way to go. Because, see, I didn't, I didn't really know Jesus. It was just a given faith. It was something that I assumed from my upbringing. I didn't have one that I really owned for myself. In the church I grew up in, we uh, had a list of things that we weren't supposed to do. And if you did them, we didn't like you. You weren't a very good Christian. Don't swear, although I heard it in our home many times. Don't go to movies, though my dad would watch TV on end. Don't drink alcohol. Don't do drugs. Don't go wrong with the wrong time of girl, girls. In fact, don't even notice girls. Too late. I already noticed them. <laughs> I had a given faith. I didn't own it. What woke me up? What moved me from a given faith to one that I own for myself? That the reality of the risen Jesus became my reality. What moved me there? I had to have an experience for myself. Because I believe that Jesus was saying, it's great to know me externally and just to be able to see me, guys, to his disciples. But it's better if you get to know me personally here. And even if you haven't seen me. Because that's the kind of relationship I want to have with you. I need an experience with him. What is it that moves us from an assumed faith or a given faith to something else? For some in this room, you've experienced the painful separation of people that you love. You've been separated either by death or divorce. Some of you have a divorce or you're if you're a child, you've seen that happen, and you know what it's like to have to go through that. I remember my parents arguing, and I thought they were going to get a divorce. I know how unsettling that could be. Many of you have had breakups of some kind of relationship that you had that you loved and has gone south. And that hurts you, and you began to doubt, and you began confused, not about yourself, about the church, about God, about is this all true? Others of people have, have had painful experiences in their life where something very precious to them was taken from them. It could have been their health. It could have been their job. It could have been circumstances. We've all had those. And when we go through them, oftentimes we have questions and we have doubt. We get confused. What is going on? And you begin to question yourself. You could be, can perhaps question other people and the circumstances you're in. I would like to welcome you to the human race that's common to all of us. It's okay to doubt. Doubting can be the prerequisite to get us to really believe, to really think through what do I believe and what do I commit to and not just trust like I hope it will all work out in the end somehow. Some people are just thinking people. The reason why they doubt is because some things just don't make sense in church and religion with other Christians just doesn't make sense. And they begin to ask questions. And too often in the church, young people specifically will bring forth questions and the adults said, you just need to believe. We don't want the questions here. The Bible says it. That settles it. Now you just go believe it. And we don't allow them to process because and think through what it really does mean to believe. Questions are welcomed in Jesus' realm. Jesus welcomed Thomas's question. When you question God or question him, 
It's okay to question him, but he's always going to return a question back to you. It goes two ways. And oftentimes, the hard questions that I've had about God are ones he brings back to me and asks me hard questions in return. Will you believe even if you don't see it? I think many, many Christians have had to go through times of doubt before their belief. I remember reading about a guy named Lee Strobel. He wasn't a Christian. He was an atheist, a journalist. And he was going to prove that Jesus did not die and rose from the dead. He was going to prove it once and for all. And see, he took years in going into research and looking at the evidence of Jesus' death and resurrection. As he was looking at the resurrection with all of his doubts, he became convicted and converted that this had to be true. It changed his mind. Doubts are welcome. Many, many great Christians started with doubt. Doubt comes because we're confused, because life doesn't happen like I expected. People let us down. The simple way you did know about Jesus, when I, I grew up with flannel graphs. Anybody remember flannel graph things? The little wooden flannel graph things, eventually it's like, this isn't the way life really works. These little characters, they would move across the flannel graph. That image that I had as a child of the way faith works and who God was, had, I had to grow up and learn that he, Jesus was a real living person in the middle of a very, very messy world. Because I was given the idea that if I was the good boy and did the right things, life would be pristine, sanitary, and it always go well for me. And then life happened. How about you? I don't know what it was about me that shifted me to faith, to go from a given faith to, a, uh, for, to, to one that I own for myself. But I knew, do know there were some things that really rocked my world. My brother, in our nice sanitary Christian family, was addicted to drugs. This was the model Christian family, and my brother was addicted to drugs. And going to living in the streets, what are we going to do with that? Very troubling. And the church, the church I grew up within was a small church like your, this one here, neighborhood church, loved the people. As I grew up, the church split twice. You might not know what a church split is, but people have a disagreement. And one group goes one way and one goes the other. And I go, what happened to these nice Christian people? Some of us have understood. And you've been hurt by church. Guess what? There's sinners in the church too. And sometimes even leaders act in ways that hurt us. I don't know if it was that or in school I didn't seem to really fit in. I don't know what it was, but my, my nice Christian sanitary world began to turn upside down, and I began to ask questions. And I began, instead of being this happy-go-lucky going to Sunday school kid, I began to be analytical and start to question and think through things for myself. I wanted to know God for myself. Does God make a difference here, in the middle of my parents yelling at each other at home, in my, my desire to go date this cute girl here, does he make a difference here? Does he make a difference about my future, my career? Because I'm really not thinking about heaven. I'm really thinking about this stuff. Does he make a difference in my everyday life? I think doubt challenges us, though. What it does is challenges our distortions about the way we see ourselves, God, and other people. It moves us to see kind of a wider picture, a wider perspective. It can be, I believe, a way to open us up to experience the living Jesus in a new way. See, I needed to know Jesus in, as a relationship. 
I needed to know, question, and doubt so I could really know him. That my little, small picture of Jesus had to expand into a world that didn't make sense to me, that troubled me. But, you know, this has not been a one-time thing. And I don't think it's a one-time thing for you either. Because if you're alive, you will have troubling things, not just when you're a kid, but as you continue through life. Things that will turn your life upside down, and this was not what you signed up for. God comes into those times of questioning and doubt and confusion, and he walks alongside us, and he understands and it's if he's saying, doubting is welcome here. It's okay to not have it all put together perfectly. Because the people who think they have it all put together perfectly don't. Each time Jesus showed up to his disciples, even in his post-resurrection state, it rocked their world. This is not what they were expecting. But when they saw and experienced Jesus for themselves, it changed them. We don't see as Thomas did, but we can believe even when we don't see because we can still experience the relationship with Jesus closer than even the disciples who walked with him on those dirty streets. They were with him for three years and they still didn't understand him. Something had to change here before it would make a difference there. Our experience is our experience. It's not always correct. And sometimes our distortion of God and ourselves can meet the risen Christ and gradually change as we encounter doubt. We are changed because we believe the stories of the followers of Jesus and apply them to our everyday life. That doubt is not always a bad thing. In fact, sometimes the drive for certainty can drive out hope. People can be so certain as if, nothing ever unsettled them, but they can be certainly wrong also. Whether you're just getting to know Jesus and struggling to believe, or you've been a Christian a long time, I do believe that the real risen Jesus makes a difference now. You see, it changes how we see God and ourselves. Did you ever pray this prayer? Lord, be with me, be with them, be with another person. I've prayed that too. And I started thinking about it. It's the craziest prayer. Why would I pray for God to be with you when he's already with you? Maybe instead of praying, God be with you, I should pray, Lord, help them to pay attention because God is already with them. <laughs> help me to see that he's already really present. Because sometimes we can mistake our inattention for his absence. Doubt gets our attention, doesn't it? It, I believe, opens up a way for us to know him in a personal way. Jesus prayed this prayer. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent, to know you. Do you know him that way? Rather than just a cultural given faith, but a real faith in your life that, the, that Jesus is really risen and alive and living and breathing in you? 
that it wasn't about those externals all the time anyway. It was about something here that God wanted to do within you. It changes how we see God. It changes how we see ourselves. You find yourself, the more you follow Jesus, more intricately connected to who he is. That your faith becomes a solid faith. That things don't rock your world as they used to. Because your life and Jesus' life are together. Once you put your trust in God, put your trust in Jesus, your hope for eternity is as secure as him. He's got you. I used to wonder, I'm going to screw up when I get to heaven. I'm going to laugh at the inappropriate time. I'm going to say, I'm going to say some bad words. But that doesn't, that's not the way it works. Because my life and Jesus' life are linked. So his, whatever his destiny is, is my destiny. And I'm pretty sure God's not going to kick him out. Apostle Paul said this, he died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for a living Christ who died and raised for him. Because he's alive, I have his life in me. It helps me understand God, myself, and my future. In fact, Jesus said, I am the very source of that resurrected new life. He said to some friends that were very troubled because one of their friends had died. And he says this, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me, even after dying, will live. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? He said to his friends. The more I see this, the more I experience the power of risen Jesus. I would say that sometimes doubt and confusion can actually be our friend. Because it gets us to believe and know God at a deeper level and not at one that's so shallow that it can't withstand the storms of life and the confusing things that happen. Because he's alive, I can know him, even in the most troubling, heartfelt times that I go through. Would you stand with me for prayer? I love the gospel of Jesus. It's more than just a message. It's a way of life. And Jesus constantly, day by day, invites us to know him in a living relationship. I've been praying all this week, Lord, your risenness, I, I'm really becoming more and more aware of your risenness, that you love me and that you save me and that you care for me and that you're, I just wanted to become more aware that he's really, really there. I hope you and I at this Easter season can really experience more of the thereness of Jesus, even in the middle of your doubts and confusions, your little quirks about the Bible or Christianity or something, that you can, it's really about this kind of vibrant relationship that you can know him this way. I have known him and I've had to grow in him and I've had to be challenged in my faith, but it's also enabled me to grow in my faith. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that you love me, that you love everyone in this room, and it's because of your great love for us, the Bible says, that you sent Jesus. For God, you loved all the people in the world so much that you sent Jesus to die for our sins. So we can be forgiven, washed clean, and made new. We know that life's a process and life's messy. But there's one thing that's solid. is that your presence is with us in all that we face. With no one looking around, just if someone you say, I'd, I'd just like you to pray for me. I've been struggling a little bit in my faith recently. 
And I, I just raise your hand real quick and wait right down. I'd be glad to pray for you. I've been just struggling in my faith. It's up and down. I, I don't really have that solid kind of faith that, that I need. Life has been a little disappointing, and I, I really need that solid faith. Okay, I see those three hands. Anybody else? Would you just like me to pray for you? Okay. Let me pray with you. Father God, you've seen the hands of those who raised and said, yeah, I'm kind of struggling in my faith. I've had stuff happen. I have questions and doubts. And I know you love me. And I know you want to be present with me. I want that. I want to sense that nearness that you have. Those disciples felt that so many people have changed their lives. So many millions of believers have understand the living relationship with the living Jesus. I pray it'd be a fresh start for some people in this room, that this Easter 2016 would be a fresh start for us. They would anticipate the surprises of Jesus in ways that we have not been paying attention to. We've been so busy with life. Hope it all works out, but you have something far greater. We're all blessed.